I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 70, in which we talk balance with Jay. And I'm recording part of this, well, the some of it was recorded on Sunday, November 27th, the conversation with Jay. I'm recording this portion on Monday, November 28th, and I don't know if I'll get it finished tonight. I might have to record a little bit more tomorrow, but hopefully, here goes. Um, I'm not actually going to record much other than my conversation with Jay, because our conversation took longer than I was thinking it would, because we got so into it. I really really enjoyed this conversation. I enjoy all of my conversations with Jay, but having just dealt with balance in my design study group, um, I was really interested to hear more what she had to say about balance and what more I could learn about it um, and bounce some things off of her that we had talked about in our design study group as well, which you will hear in our conversation. I do have a couple of quick announcements to let you know about. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to take a moment to announce the winners of the two giveaways that I had going, and I've been in touch with both of them, so hopefully I'll hear back from them soon so I can get their prezies in the mail to them. Uh, first, congratulations to Sassy Coconut, who won the blog giveaway. That was the one in which I posted um, the pictures of the paint chips that I drew randomly for my guild's paint chip challenge and asked people to tell me what they would do, and then I just drew randomly... I used the random number generator. I didn't go by which response I liked best because I liked them all. So that would have been hard. Uh, So random number generator drew Sassy Coconut's name. So congratulations, Sassy or Sassy Coconut. And, uh, I'm looking forward to being able to get your stuff to you in the mail. And on the Facebook um, Quilting for the Rest of Us page, I had done a celebratory giveaway for the fact that we had just tipped over a nice round number um, in terms of the number of likes and got a bunch of comments on that um, entry. I had asked people to let me know if what quilt that what project they would most like to take on if everything else was done, all of their obligations, everything that they were in the middle of was done. What would they most like to do that maybe normally they don't have the opportunity to do? And so a bunch of people left comments there, and I've told them it is definitely fair game for a future episode. Both of those um, giveaway comments were. And the winner of that Facebook giveaway is Gretchen G. So congratulations to Gretchen. Again, I have emailed um, both or contacted both folks, and I'm just waiting to hear back from them so I can uh, get stuff in the mail. And I'm hoping to beat the holiday rush at the post office. <laughs> so let's, I'm working on getting that done, hopefully this week. I also wanted to say a quick thank you to listener Mary. Uh, if you recall, in the last episode I just posted as I'm recording this now, I just posted it yesterday. I had mentioned that I wasn't entirely sure whether I wanted to sew my hexagons um, using the method that Jay suggests, which is sort of a chunking. You do them kind of as a group, um, in a group, versus doing them in columns or rows, which I had seen in a magazine, but I couldn't remember what magazine. And listener Mary sent me an email today that said, um, 
that she had done hers in rows and sent me the link to a fantastic video on how to do that in YouTube. And so I'm going to post the um, link to that on the show notes of this episode. So if you're not sure what I mean by sewing your hexagons together in rows, and by the way, this is machine sewing, not hand sewing, um, then go to my show notes for this episode and check out that YouTube link because it was an excellent video. I will say the person um, posting the video, sometime kind of, she sort of lost track of where her hands were in relationship to the camera. So there were times when she was explaining something that I couldn't quite see it because she was a little off camera. But for the most part, she corrected herself and you could easily um, see how she was doing things. So I found that a very helpful video. So thank you, Mary. And um, like I said, posting the link on the show notes so y'all can share in the fun. Um, so that's all for my introduction, and without further ado, I'm going to get into the uh, conversation with Jay, and then at the end of that conversation, I'll give you the regular information about how to be in touch with me, and then in another few days, um, towards the end of this week, I'm going to post a podcast with some other stuff in it. And at that point, then I will get to all the listener comments that I've been getting. Um, I won't read every single one of them because I've got a lot this time. Thank you, everybody, for talking to me. Um, so anyway, let's get on to talking about balance with Jay. Okay, I'm talking again with Jay this morning. We're con- finally continuing our design series. And Jay, what are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk about balance. Fantastic. Now, I think balance is probably a, a concept that is both bigger than most people think and maybe even um, kind of more simple and more complex <laughs> in a way. So why don't you, could you start out with what a general definition of balance is? Yeah, I just want to remind people that the design definition, design is a problem-solving activity within all the arts, placing or creating subject matter So it is a visual significance and interesting to the artist. And within that, balance is a principle of design. And it is used to describe the distribution of visual weight in a design. Visual weight refers to the parts of a design that appear larger or that appear to come forward or that appear to have more importance. Balance is also concerned with the distribution of visual weight. And I realize that I just said that, but this is a little different. It's what is where in a composition. So where are your triangles? Where are your squares? Where are your flowers and applique? What part of your design is where in a composition? And balance also refers to the ways in which the elements, so remember, balance is a principle. Balance refers to the ways in which the elements, line, shape, colors, textures of a piece are arranged. And an, balance is an art and design principle concerned with the arrangement of one or more elements in a work of art, so they appear symmetrical, which is even, or asymmetrical, uneven, in design and proportion. Now, all of those definitions that I just said, they're all sort of saying the same thing, but I wanted to say them in different ways so people could kind of pick the definition that worked best for their learning style. Okay, so that also helps us define what's the difference between elements and principles in that, as you said, the elements, the line, the shape, the color value, etc., 
become, they are used in such a way as to create balance. Right. Okay. Exactly. And I thought that was when I came across that I'm like, okay, got it now. This will help people understand <laughs> the difference. That does help kind of line it out for us a little bit. All right. So what then, we talked a little bit about line and shape affecting balance, but when it comes particularly to quilt making, what are some other things that can then play into this whole concept of balance? Okay, as I said, you can affect balance by using some elements of design, and you gave some examples, size, placement, and color texture. There are different types of balance, and usually you pick one, when you're making your quilt. So there are four main types. Symmetrical balance, radial balance, crystallographic balance, and asymmetrical balance. Now, I want to say that I found out when I was doing this research that there are 17 types of symmetry. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to talk about 17 different types of symmetry, But if people want to know about it, Ruth McDowell's Symmetry book is really good. It's sort of an intellectual quilt-making book. It does have patterns in it, but it also talks about all those 17 different types of symmetry. And symmetrical balance is formal balance. It's also called formal balance. So we're going to talk about those different types of balance now. Okay. Yeah, I was surprised to see that there were 17 different types of symmetry because the first image that pops into my mind when I hear the word symmetry is a mantelpiece, you know, with the two candles on either side and (laughs) the painting in the middle. You think of it as just kind of one single type of symmetry, but there's to have 17 types. um, I think, could you put that whole list on your blog? Yeah, I'll put the whole list on my blog. Because that's fantastic. Okay, so go for it. Tell us what we're talking about. Okay, so first of all is symmetrical balance. And symmetrical balance, also called symmetry, is the regular arrangement of similar parts in a predictable pattern. And Ruth McDowell, in the book I mentioned, explains that there are 17 different kinds of symmetry, and that's based on a scientific study of crystallography. And what symmetrical balance does is repeat similar shapes, colors, values, lines, or other elements on both halves of the composition. So one side, in effect, becomes a mirror image of the other. Now, if you think of a clock, even though the numbers are different, a clock is symmetrical. And your face or another person's face is symmetrical. And faces, they're not, you know, your eyes aren't exactly the same shape, but just glancing at them, Usually you have two eyes and a nose in the middle and a mouth and that kind of thing. So there are some quilt patterns that are also symmetrical. Lemoyne Star, Ava's Delight, Double Four Patch, Nine Patch, Irish Chain, Log Cabin, your favorite candy, Jacob's Ladder, and Drunkard's Path are all examples. There are many others. I just picked out a few that I could find quickly. Um the formality of a grid can be used to lend some organization to a complex or busy image. And I wrote this down because there's a lot of fabric that's really complex or busy. So it's good, not required, but good to use a design that has symmetrical balance so you can kind of rein it in a little bit. 
if that's the look that you want. The formal quality and symmetry imparts an immediate feeling of permanence, strength, and stability. And such quality, you see such qualities in public buildings because they suggest the dignity and power of a government. Realize a building is not a quilt, but if you think about your local courthouse or something, you can kind of see that point. And symmetrical balance is not by itself preordain any specific visual result. You have to choose the elements that you put into a symmetrically balanced design. Okay, so in in that one, in other words, just because you've decided you're going to make something symmetrical, it it does not necessarily mean it's going to give a particular impression. It's It's how you build that symmetry and which of those 17 types of symmetry you use that will then create the overall effect. Is that what that statement means? Right. But you have to pick... You have to pick the colors. Colors are an element or, or color work is an element. So you have to pick the colors as an example and put it into a symmetrical design for a specific visual result. If you put all black solid fabric in a symmetrical design, you're probably not going to get that feeling of permanent strength and stability. You're just going to have a black quilt with you know, not where you can't see anything because it's all the same color. Well, and also, again, with color placement, it can also, even though the design is symmetrical, if you're not careful with your color placement, it may end up feeling not symmetrical or at least off balance because the, the colors are in places that are kind of messing with that sense of balance. Exactly, exactly. All of these elements and principles work together. You can, and I realize we haven't gone through all of them, but you can still kind of get the idea as we go through it and use what you've learned to make the designs that you're already making better. I had this really funny experience. I just finished writing all this and reading all about balance. And I went to the dentist, and they have the coolest magazines at my dentist. They have things like Vogue and Town and Country and these really expensive magazines that I never buy. And I was looking at the ad, and I'm thinking, oh, look, that's symmetrical balance. Oh, look, what kind of balance is that? What, you know, how did they put this ring here with all this scatter of diamonds down here? I was really having a good time. I was kind of mad with the hygienist came out and wanted me to leave. <laughs> so, so that's going to be one of the exercises is go to the Goodwill or or go to your dentist and say, hey, I just want to sit in the in the waiting room for a minute and look at your cool magazines <laughs> and look at the ads because they're really great for, for checking out balance. Well, and it does show how we can learn from anything. You know, you can look at an ad in a magazine or you can look at architecture to see examples of these types of things. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so the next is radial balance. Radial balance is based on elements radiating out from a central point. Radial balance is based on the divisions of a circle And to achieve radial balance, it is best to use five or more divisions. 
using four divisions would be the same as rotational symmetry. So go for five or more. Some kinds of, of cool, I mean, cool designs that include radial balance are Dresden plate, winding waves, medallion quilts. So that's not a block pattern. It medallion quilts radiate out from a large center motif, which creates overall radial balance across your entire quilt. The sun with its rays, flowers, dome, so the round part of a domed building, like if you think about the Capitol in Washington, that dome is radial balance, and Tibetan mandalas. Radial balance is sometimes considered a refinement of symmetrical or asymmetrical balance, depending on whether the focus occurs in the middle or off-center. The advantage of a radial design is the clear emphasis on the center and the unity that this form of design suggests. And what that means is, and again with the clock face, yeah, you look at what time it is, but the center of your clock is the focus. And that's the same for the sun and all these other designs that I mentioned. You can draw your eye away from the center by the fabric that you choose. Like in a Dresden plate, you can put something that blends in in the center and make your petals really bright so that your eye goes out. But still, the center is the main point. Okay, and on radial, it also strikes me then that this is where a lot of optical illusion can come in, where you're you're making it almost look 3D by your use of color and value, um, and whether you're drawing the eye towards the center or pushing it away from the center. Um, I never thought of that, but I, yeah, I think that's true. I, I love radial designs and would like to do more with those, particularly, you know, like the uh, Mariner's Compass type medallion quilts. That's, you know, another perfect example of that radial balance. Um, they're just gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And if you use paper piecing, they're not that difficult. Right. But, I mean, I don't want to say easy because you have to pay attention, but it's not as difficult as using templates. Right. So next we have crystallographic balance. And crystallographic balance is a field of patterns scattered all over the surface. So if you think of some like polka dotted fabric, that is a kind of crystallographic balance. And essentially it's a balance without a focal point. It is balanced because it is the same all over, but there's not a focal point. So, like I said, scattered designs on fabric. All over fabric designs are often companion prints in a group with a large focal point motif. The all over print is usually a crystallographic balance design, like I said, the polka dots. Tumbling blocks, quilts are also crystallographic balance. Crystallographic balance or, or all over patterns without a focal point are bound because they have equal emphasis over a whole composition and the same weight or eye attraction everywhere on your piece. So if you make a a nine patch quilt and you have a nine patch and then next to it a a plain block and then another nine patch, all over your quilt that is crystallographic balance. 
crystallographic balance is considered a refinement of symmetrical balance, but it is truly a different impression from our usual concept of symmetrical balance. And like my, like I said in my example of the nine patch, many quilts use crystallographic balance in a grid. The block setting traditionally used for quilts lends itself to overall design balance. So in that respect, it almost sounds like you're, you're able to say any quilt that's made up of identical blocks laid out is actually an example of crystallographic balance because yes. there isn't a single focal point. Exactly. The focal point is the whole quilt, but I don't think it has to be the same exact block if each block has the same visual weight. So I haven't tried this, but if you have a nine patch, a plain block, a four patch, and they have, and your eye doesn't travel to one to the exclusion of the other, that could be crystallographic balance. Okay, so Although that... I think it's easier, it's clearer if they're all the same block. Right. I had mentioned to you before we started recording this episode, my design study group um, just worked on balance, and crystallographic was the one that kind of generated the most discussion because there was a lot of confusion over did it need to be random versus could it be on a grid? Because in the Fearless Design book, which is the one that we're using, it really leaned, it seemed to lean in that book towards having to be random. But some of these other definitions you're using here say it really could be either way. Yeah, I was looking in the wrong book when we talked about it before, but this um, quote, many quotes use crystallographic balance in a grid, comes from the Coulter's Book of Design, um, second, the Anne Johnston book. It's a really good book. And that's where she says, that all of our patterns without a focal point also have a kind of balance called crystallographic balance, which I also said. I think the key is that there has to be equal emphasis over the whole composition, and I don't think that's possible if it's random. Well, I, I think it is possible because, again, you look at calico prints. Some of those have you know little leaves that are facing every which way, but they're sort of evenly dispersed. So that's where I think that that comes in. And when you think about it, if crystallographic is a direct reference to crystals, to crystallography, (laughs) I can't even pronounce that word, Um, but if that's where it comes from, then crystals aren't particularly random. So that does make me think it really could be either way. It would have to be a very careful random. Yeah, and I don't think there's any fabric that gets printed that's truly random because they have to... There is a repeat regardless. They can't print it. I mean, I guess if you're doing a, um, in your house, a, some kind of painting on fabric, that is probably random. But those little calicos, even if their leaves are, are pointing all different directions, there's a repeat in that. And that's on a grid, I think. I think, again, this kind of depends on which resource you're specifically looking at. And I don't want to spend a whole lot more time on crystallographic to the detriment of the other types. But when when we were using that Fearless Design book in their discussion of crystallographic, it is skewed towards a not, not being on a grid, even when you look at the examples. But when you look at all of these definitions from all of these different resources, it really can kind of go either way. 
I think the key is that it needs to be balanced all over. I think that's the key. Whether you put it on a grid or it's random, if you look at it and you go, okay, this all these pieces of my design are balanced because they're all two inches apart or about two inches apart or whatever. Right. I think that's the key. So asymmetrical balance is where parts of the composition are not the same, but are balanced in placement and visual weight. So think of a teeter-totter. Two people of equal weight in the same position on each end represent symmetrical balance. Two people of unequal weight means that the heavier person is closer to the center, the fulcrum, or the balance point, which can also balance, which balances the teeter-totter. Each symmetrical balance is equal, but not the same. So here's an example. If you have a dark green element towards the bottom right-hand corner of your quilt, you will need to put smaller elements that together achieve a similar weight towards the upper left-hand corner. Balance, asymmetrical balance is achieved with dissimilar objects that have equal visual weight or equal eye attraction, and those are different. Dissimilar objects can also be used in asymmetrical balance if they're equally pleasing to the eye. So asymmetrical balance is a big unknown. This type of balance is where it is important to know about the elements of design so that you can use them to adjust the visual weight of your asymmetrical design. A complex shape, even though smaller, has a stronger eye attraction to the eye of the viewer. Complexity of shape can balance a much larger, simple shape of the same value and color. A sharp contrast in color can give a small object more significance in a large space. Asymmetry, it appears casual and less planned, but it's actually much more intricate and complicated to use than symmetrical balance because attempting to balance dissimilar items involves more complex design decisions and considerations. And a lot of those decisions are more subtle. So consider a star sampler quilt. You've asked your friends to make you star blocks in solid fabrics with a black background. They can make the star blocks any size and any pattern. When you get the blocks back, they're all perfectly pieced, but different sizes and colors of solid fabric. You have to arrange them in a pleasing way. No UFOs here. <laughs> what what you're doing with this kind of exercise is asymmetrical balance. The the balance that you're using is asymmetrical because you have ten inch blocks and two inch blocks and four inch blocks and you want them all to you don't want your eye to jump to one part of the quilt. You want it to roam around. And one of the ways that well there are four ways that you do that and that's using a structure a balanced structure. There are four... Okay, so I'm going to move on to structure, but I should let you have a chance to ask me questions about asymmetric balance. Well, what I was going to say, I don't really have any questions about asymmetry because I think we mostly know what it is. And I did find, as we were studying that in our design study group, I did find the use of the image of the teeter-totter very helpful, you know, as I was thinking through that. Um, 
But I do think it's interesting that that is the one that looks the most casual, and it looks like, you know, people just kind of throw things on there and, gee, they work, but it's actually probably the hardest to do and get it right. Yeah, they have a really interesting quilt in, um, I think it's in the Culture's Book of Design. It's a picture, it's a um, sort of representational quilt of some old ladies in a Greek fishing village, and there's a building on the on the left and some stairs and sky on the right. And the way the designer has made it bounce is, it, you can tell it wasn't easy if you look at it, but it is balanced and it's just very impressive the way she did that. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's just a matter of scooching something a little bit. You know, so if you're trying to do an asymmetrical balanced quilt design and you've got your pieces laid out and it doesn't feel balanced you may just need to move one piece a hair to the left or a hair to the right or a little bit up or a little bit down or maybe make it a quarter inch bigger you know sometimes it can be a very subtle change that will then render it balanced and that's really an important point because you don't always need to make major changes when you've got all the elements you want to use and you're just trying to get it to look right or be balanced. And scooching it a little tiny bit to the right or making that circle a little bigger are, is really important because you can just mess it up. You can mess up your quilt if you're trying to make too many changes at once and, and not stopping and thinking about it. Right. And as we've said, you know, before, it's not always about the size and the shape and the placement. Sometimes it's about the colors, the values, which fabric you're using. If it's a, a, a bolder print versus a more subtle print, those kinds of things also affect that overall thing. So you have to, if you're looking at creating this asymmetrical quilt, you need to look at every single element to see that it's all playing into that overall effect. Yeah, I like to say that all the elements of my quilts, they have to earn their place on the, <laughs> on the quilt. Right. It's like, you know, the cost of real estate. <laughs> all that furniture that you have, you, it better be worthwhile. Otherwise, it's not earning its spot. Right. Okay, so, so the way to deal with the different types of balance is through structure. And there are four major types of structure. Focus. Circular structure, triangular structure, and L structure. Focus structure has to do with placing elements of a design in such a way that the eye of the viewer focuses on it. You create focus by establishing the difference between the featured shape and its setting. So if you think about a nine patch, the featured shape is one of the sets of squares. So the the two top corners, the two bottom corners and the center. Or you can you can put a separate type of fabric, fussy cut fabric in the center, and that becomes your focus. The circular structure uses a circular design skeleton to move the eyes around the design in a clockwise manner. So I saw a cool quilt in Adventures in Design. It was a 
like a merry-go-round, part of a merry-go-round. And your eye really did move around in a clockwise manner. And I don't know why it has to be clockwise, but I think it's uh, probably just what we're used to when we're reading a clock, but I don't really know. But this this quote was so cool because there was so much going on, but you really did look at it in a clockwise manner. So the next one is triangular structure, and the basis of your design is a triangle, which means that either on the top you've got two things, and on the bottom you've got one, or vice versa. And you see a lot of those that kind of structure in applique representational quilts. And I've seen a number of quilts about flowers that use that kind of structure. So there's also an L structure, like the letter L. In an L structure, the major design focus should be along one of the arms of the L. And the best placement in this kind of structure is to place the major focus close to the intersecting point of the L. So let's say you have um, four birds. Well, probably three birds would be better. But, okay, so three birds. So they're all right near that corner of your L, and two of them are on the long side of the L, and one of them is on the short side. And you could organize the L so that it, short leg is vertical and the long leg is horizontal or or the normal way that we think of it when we're writing our letters. So there's also um, horizontal and vertical structure, which I saw talked about as horizontal and vertical balance. I have to say that these design people are not in agreement about any of these principles or elements. It can be a little frustrating. So you might consider horizontal and vertical balance a type of structure or a different type of balance. Horizontal balance is everything on either side of an imaginary line down the middle of your design from top to bottom. So there's a center vertical axis. This type of balance is what we unconsciously assume when we look at a piece. That's the first one that we go to, and that's your face is horizontally balanced. Vertical balance is where the visual weight is above and below an imaginary line drawn from right to left across the center of the design. Because of gravity, we're used to seeing more weight at the bottom of a design. And think of a mountain. The bottom is a lot heavier than the top. Okay, so just to clarify, because I I had to read through this section a couple of different times. Horizontal balance. You're drawing a vertical line, but your eye is actually traveling horizontally. That's why it's called horizontal balance. So it's, it's that things across look balanced to one another across the, the visual, um, field. Whereas vertical balance, you're drawing a horizontal line, but then vertically, as your eye goes up and down vertically, that's where you're seeing the balance. So, because I, I, like I said, I was thinking, well, horizontal balance should be the horizontal line, but it's not. It's where your eye travels compared to that center line. Correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. Correct. Okay. So the last thing is that if you have an unbalanced design, it really 
leave the viewer with a vague sense of unease. They won't know why, but they'll be thinking, I'm not getting this quilt, or I don't like this quilt, or it's just this vague sense of unease. And I'm sure we've all experienced that and not known why. It's because the design is not balanced. So there were a couple of things that I noticed when I was reading through all these things. It's interesting how almost anything can inspire us to create a, a new design. Ruth McDowell was inspired to look into symmetry further when she was gallery sitting and ended up talking with a professor from a local Boston college who demanded to know why the designs in the gallery, which were all quilts, used only four of the 17 types of symmetry. And I'm going to tell you guys all the types of symmetry in just a second. Um, and the other thing that I noticed was crystallography is the science of the forms and structures of crystals. So you, I think you mentioned that. And I just want to tell you guys the, the types of symmetry. I was so amazed. So there are, as we said, 17 types of symmetry. Mirror, two mirrors, four mirrors, six mirrors, mirrored kites, mirrored triangles, rotational, which has four additional kinds within it, which are 60 degrees, 90 degrees, 120 degrees, 80 degrees. And then we go back to translational glide, two glides, staggered pairs, staggered fours, glides, and mirrors pinwheels and mirrors. So those are your 17 types of symmetry. Yeah, it, it makes me want to start playing with them, actually, because like you said, we're used to only thinking in terms of four or five different types, and uh, the Fearless Design book only talks about, I think there's five, maybe six in there. The things that really stood out for me as as we've been talking is that there are 17 types of symmetry, and I really want to explore those more. You also made a comment when we were talking about radial symmetry that made me pause for a moment mentally is when you talk about asymmetrical radial symmetry where the focal point of the radius is off center. And I've certainly seen quilts like that. I wouldn't have named it as such, but that's now something I want to play with a little bit more. Um, and where you talked about the, the structure, the circular structure where it, you know, your eyes travel clockwise. I do think there's a lot of um, benefit to considering having forcing the eye counterclockwise. It would create a very different feel. You know, as we've talked about throughout this, how you use these different things will give an impression. Maybe you want people to feel a little unsettled. But the mm -hmm. idea is it should be intentional and not a mistake. <laughs> exactly. And that's the whole point. Make whatever decision you want to make, but make sure you're making the decision and not just throwing up your hands and saying, okay, it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, whatever gets it done. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, well, you've got some homework for us. Lay it on us. Okay, so three exercises. The, the third exercise I already told you, go to your dentist's office, look at their glossy magazines, try and figure out the kind of balance. I think they also sometimes have magazines at the Goodwill or maybe you subscribe to one of those magazines that has you know, giant piles of diamonds in their ads and things like that. I didn't get the same feeling when I was looking at the magazines that I subscribed to, which are mostly quilt magazines. And uh, I don't know what it is about those expensive magazines, but try and find one. 
Um, okay, so that's exercise three. Now we're going back to exercise one. The supplies that you'll need are 20 to 30 disparate items, a large piece of paper or a table on which to arrange your items. And if you have a camera, you don't need it, but we love pictures and flip pad. How do you say that, Sandy? Okay, so just on your items, just go to your kitchen junk drawer or your extra everything closet or just walk around the house and grab things of all different sizes, shapes, colors, thicknesses, and weights. And make sure you have a piece of crumpled junk mail, too. You can include things like marbles, a spoon, a whisk, a statue, a postcard, your remote control. Just get things that are easy for you to handle. Please don't try and move your TV or your couch. And take your items and arrange them on the piece of paper on your table or some other clear space. And try to arrange them in a pleasing way. Think about the, the types of balance that we've talked about and try and arrange them in those different ways. And if you have a camera, take a photo and look at the photo and see the differences between what you're looking at on the table and how it looks in the photo. I think we all know that looking at a photo makes the quilt look different. So exercise two is use the same items from above and pretend your items are quilt blocks. Rearrange your items and answer the questions below. Are you looking at the items differently? Did you move, remove any items or add any items? And remember, you're thinking about these as you're making a quilt from these items. And tell us some of your thoughts while you're rearranging your items. You can leave out the part about how stupid I am and what a dumb exercise this is, because um, I don't think it's dumb. And then take a photo and share it in Sandy's Flickr group or on your blog or somewhere so we can see it too. And then I will put up, when Sandy posts this, I'll put up these notes on my blog too, artquiltmaker.com slash blog. Okay, and I am hoping to put this up in the next couple of days. So um, I have another episode I'm popping up today quickly, but that's a shorty. And then we'll do this one sometime in the next couple of days. Um, and I never did the homework for the last one, partly because I was working on homework for my design study group. But this this homework is very um, straightforward and simple, and it's something I think you know you can easily do in several minutes. And then you can also make it take a lot longer if you want to. Um, I do agree with you on when I'm thinking through the magazines I subscribe to versus those, you know, the the bigger ones that are primarily advertising, um, that you will probably see more examples of really considered use of design principles in the ads in those more expensive magazines. Um, partly, I think they have more money to spend on advertising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I also think, just thought maybe looking at one of those really big coffee table photography books, maybe a compilation of a bunch of different photographers, looking at, you might be able to do the same exercise with a book like that. I think absolutely, because many of these, um, you know, I've, I've done some work on photography and many of the design principles like the structure and things like that are very much what you do in photography as well. So I think you would get some of those same, um, you'd be able to use some of those photo photographs along those same lines. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I really enjoy this book, Symmetry, by Ruth McDowell. I'm pretty sure it's out of print, but it does have patterns if you like patterns, and it has a lot of good information on symmetry. So it's, worth, tra- it's, it's, it's worth tracking down if you can find it. Yeah, I think so. And uh, CMT may have it as an ebook. I I didn't check, but they might. Okay. All right, any last words you want to leave folks with as they start pondering balance in their lives? Look at the world around you and find the balance. (laughs) In so many levels, I think. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, thank you very much, Jay. And uh, we will be hopefully um, able to do the next episode a little bit more quickly than we were able to pull this one off now that I know my travel has certainly settled down, Um, although we are getting into the holidays, so who's to say? (laughs) Yeah, and I'm, I'm nearly through with the next segment, which will be on Unity. Ooh, Unity. Okay, well, we'll have to uh, start putting our schedules together and figuring out when we can talk about that one, too. Okay. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Great talking to you. And with that, it's time to let you know that you can be in touch with me in all the usual ways. You can leave comments on the show notes to this episode at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And at that same site, you will find links to my blog, to... um, the Flickr group. And remember, we've got two Flickr groups now. If you are doing the Stash Mystery Challenge the last quarter, you can leave your pictures in the Quilting for the Rest of Us Challenge group. Um, You will also find links to all sorts of other things. I think Goodreads and um, Kiva and the newsletter, whenever I manage to get one out. And of course, to email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z, which is generally my handle pretty much anywhere I show up on the internet. So if you see a Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z, you might want to ask first if it's the podcaster, because, <laughs> you know, who knows, there might be another one floating around out there. Otherwise, um, you can find everything that you need in order to be in touch with me or to hang out with other quilting for the rest of us folks, because we are a fun bunch at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And so until the next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.